My name is Bradley. I'm from Utah. This just barely happened to me. It was about maybe two minutes ago. Me and my younger brother, we were playing catch outside with a ball. And then we heard the noise of our back gate, like open and close. And I walked out there with my brother. I had him guard the back gate because I thought someone might have came in or whatever. And so I go over. And so our backyard is like a whole fenced off thing. It's like got a square and then it's got a little hall like to the other side of the house. And I had my brother guard the gate and then we went over and then I saw looked to be some kind of entity. It was like this super tall black creature. I didn't really get too good of a look of it, but I ran away. And it was this tall black creature with white glowing eyes. It creeped me out. So I had me and my brother run back inside. I have no idea if it's still there or not, but it definitely creeped me out. I hope you can use this on your podcast. Bye. Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Any big thanks to Bradley from Utah for calling in. That sounds like a heart-stopping encounter. And certainly won't be the last we hear of these shadowy entities on tonight's program. And speaking of which, I have a great little episode locked, loaded, and ready to go. So thank you for tuning in. But before we get started, you know, as I touched on in the previous Waterworker special, I really like fishing. I guess I just love fish altogether. One of my favorite foods. I have an aquarium behind me, a buzz with aquatic life. But I think it's more than just fish. I think it has something to do with the water. You see, despite the fact that I fear it, I'm oddly attracted to it. Each time I move locations throughout my life, I'm finding myself moving closer and closer to bodies of it. I previously lived about eight miles from the Pacific Ocean coast, and now I can see our lake from our game room window. But at any rate, back to the point of all this. I'm not sure where this attraction stems from. Is it fishing or simple aesthetics? Some may say it's because I just happen to be a Scorpio. But I don't know about all that. But the allure is real. And there's no doubting that gut-sinking feeling I get whenever I'm around it. But of all the many reasons to fear the water, especially dark water. There is one UFO encounter that took place six full years before I was born that may just be at the root of it, at least for me. I first read about the abduction of Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson of Pascagoula, Mississippi in the Reader's Digest UFO installment of their Quest of the Unknown series from the early 90s, a book that once belonged to my grandfather and is now in my possession. The entry on the incident, later known as the Pascagoula Abductions, is brief, but the illustration is quite memorable, especially to an 11-year-old. I've attached a quick snapshot in the show notes if you want to see it. But for those not familiar with the case, on October 11, 1973, two men, 42-year-old Hickson and 19-year-old Parker, were fishing off a pier off the west bank of the Pascagoula River late into the evening when something strange paid them a visit. Now here is an interview with the now deceased Charles Hickson from 1975 
just two short years after the famous encounter. Something happened October of 73 That would go down in history The spaceship came with many blue lights Set down near them in the night Three little men came out and took them inside They looked him over with one big eye They say what they saw was real They know they were the ones that saw the pastel a UFO we were sitting on the other side of the pier with our, our feet, you know, over toward the river, fishing in, in the river. And the fish still wasn't biting, so I told Calvin, I said, well, you know, we might as well go home. But I guess that was when I heard it. It was some kind of zipping sound. And when I turned on around in this area out here, about 40 or 50 feet out there, there was some, some kind of crab, you know. It was it looked like it was going to come right onto the ground. But it, it came on down and hovered about oh, about a foot and a half or, or two feet off of the ground. We didn't know what to do, you know. Uh, the river behind us and, and uh, that out there, not knowing what it was. It had blue flashing lights. It was, you know, approaching the ground, but then they went out. And when the opening appeared, some source of light came from the inside. It was just almost blinding. Of course, we could see them in, in, the, in the opening coming from... You know when it started out to crap, but did I you think it was tell. people coming out at first? Well, they, they had they had uh, well, I, I kind of thought it was people at first. You know, off like that. But of course, when they when they appeared there in, in front of me, it was the most shock I've ever had in my life. What what did you see? Well, they 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 were they were shorter than me. I'd say about five foot two or three, and they didn't have a neck. They, they had it seemed to come directly to their shoulders. And it had something that uh, came out to a point about where a, a nose would be, and, and on each side, the ears. And I believe that they looked like they were a little longer on the ears than the nose. But still pointed the They ears. were still pointing, yes. Then just almost instantly, they were right there on us. Their arms, they had arms, it, and I saw the arms moving here and, and in the shoulders, but they had welled. I mean, their, their fingers were welled, and then they had something like a thumb, and they were like this. Mm -hmm. They had me... Uh, one on this arm like this, and on the other one, you know, they had my other arm like that. And they just, I just seemed to lift up to the same height they were off the ground, and and we just moved into the crowd. Now inside, how did they, how did they lay you out? Do you remember how it happened? Um, yes, uh, they, I didn't see any tables or chairs or anything mm -hmm. in there. I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't in there because the light was almost blinding, but I didn't see any. And when they, when they carried me inside, they seemed to, to just lean me back. You know, and uh, this this eye, I keep referring to it as an eye, and it moved up to in front of me about this close, mm -hmm. and it started right at my eyes, looking me right in the eye, uh -huh. and it seemed to, it hesitated there for a, a, a few seconds, and it just started moving over my entire body. When they they brought me uh, from the craft up to along this area here, and they seemed to they didn't drop me, you know, they just released me back to the ground. I fell. I, I don't know why my, my legs were weak. I don't know why it was the, the fright or what it was, but I, I fell onto the ground. And that's when I seen Calvin. He's standing right over here in this area, and he was standing facing the river with his arms outstretched like that, just like he was staring at something. I think there has to be a reason why that Calvin and me was picked. Maybe because you could take it? Well, it might be. I don't know. I, I think that they, they know more of what's going on down here on this earth and we think and I don't know they might have been you might say looking for somebody that uh, that could you might say hold up under this train and convince people that that, uh, that there is another world and there's some kind of life in that world now that clip was courtesy of the CTV Canadian television program W5 and as for the song I was not able to find the writer or the singer. So if you happen to know, please reach out so I can credit them. Now, as you can imagine, the report caused quite a stir. The two men raced to the police station, and eventually, officers there began to believe the story. And at one point, Calvin Parker even received psychiatric help. Now, the two gentlemen would go on to pass several police-administered tests including multiple polygraph examinations. All evidence suggested that the men were being truthful. 
Now, Hickson died in 2011, and as the years passed, both have been accused of altering their stories a bit from the original retelling. But I can't help but think that after 40 years, I imagine that'll happen to even the most skilled of observers and storytellers. Then something even stranger happened in 2015. A witness to the events came forward, solidifying the men's claims, nearly five decades after the odd event. And here's that witness's testimony, courtesy WLOX News 13 out of Biloxi, Mississippi. On the same October 1973 night, Maria Blair was waiting with her husband Jerry Blair for him to leave on a boat to work offshore. What she saw that night is something she's telling for the first time publicly. It was a warm night. It was like 70, 73 degrees. It was kind of easy to sit in the car and just wait for the captain to get there. While they were waiting, Jerry went to sleep, and Maria saw what she describes as strange, a blue light streaking back and forth. You're looking up at the sky, and you're looking at stars, and you're looking for the Big Dipper and all kinds of things, and that's when I seen it rise up in the sky over here. Where I seen it come up was probably over in this area somewhere, the blue light, and it was over, just like I said, right over where they were abducted. At the time, she thought it was a plane or a helicopter. You don't think it's UFO. The blue light continued moving without noticeable sound for about 30 minutes. And when it went out of sight... We hear this loud, something just fell in the water. It was a loud splash. The water got just riffling, and then when I looked down, that's when I seen it looked like a person in the water. Maria still doesn't know what she saw in the water and didn't think much of it until the next day when she heard about what Parker and Hickson had told the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. I was watching two men being abducted by UFO. Despite believing what she saw was a UFO, she never talked about it to anyone except her family. Maria's husband wanted her to keep quiet. When she would talk about it, I'd tell her, shut up. I said, people are going to think you're crazy. But after seeing a recent media report about the abduction, Maria got the courage to come forward. Her motivation? To give Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson's story validation. Now here's where this comes full circle. As you just heard, Maria witnessed something go into the water, an object she later claimed to have seen below the surface. So after all this time of searching for signs of this body-snatching UFO in the skies, perhaps we had it wrong all along, and that possible threat comes to us from below. Now I have a great little program lined up for you. And we're going to kick it off with a similar tale from an unknown man and another fishing trip ruined by the paranormal. So please, join me in welcoming our anonymous submitter from the state of Utah. Hello, I'm a caller from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I have a story. I was not actually there. I'm calling on behalf of my older brother, who's 10 years older than me. The story takes place up in the Uinta Mountains. At the time, my brother was 17, 2004, uh, in the summer. And every year, my grandpa, who's a big outdoorsman, would take a few of the boys, grandkids, on this 10-mile hike in the middle of the Uintas to these lakes to go fishing. Grandpa's been there multiple times. He loves the outdoors and knows a lot about them. Uh, on this particular trip, they were out camping at night, and they didn't ever sleep in tents. I mean, the weather's so nice, and during the summer, it's kind of cool. It gets cooler at night, but not as bad. Uh, you're able to sleep just under the stars in a sleeping bag. There's five of them, my grandpa, then I went my brother sitting next to my grandpa, and then my other brother, and then I, a cousin. And it was middle of the night, and they're sleeping, and my brother was woken up by this deep roar. Like, uh, he can't explain it. He said it was just loud, close, and just growl a roar. And it woke him up, and he was just looking around, and then it did it again. He got super nervous, so he 
actually woke up my grandpa. My grandpa's like, what's that? What's that? And they sat still for a minute and then they heard it again. And they were sitting there and they heard another one. And my brother says my grandpa looked kind of shocked. And he looked at my brother and said, let's build a fire. And so they built a big fire and it stopped. They finally went to bed. Next morning, my brother asked my grandpa, what, what was that sound? What was that roar? And my grandpa, being a grandpa, said, oh, it was a bird. <laughs> Years later down the road, my brother asked my grandpa again what he really thought that noise was. And my grandpa, he said, Alf, all the time I've been up to you went as he's never, ever heard a noise like that. And so, you know, you could, could be a bear, a cougar, but it's still a creepy story. And I hope you can use this. Thanks for the podcast. Thank you, caller. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that Utah wasn't even on the list for Bigfoot hotspots. But over the past decade or so, that's all seemed to have changed. And the epicenter for these fresh new sightings seems to be the resort town of Provo. Now, unlike most Sasquatch flaps, this one seems to produce a lot of video footage. In fact, I've linked to three of the most popular ones, but just know that there are many others. Others like this sighting, courtesy of KSTU, Fox 13 News out of Salt Lake City. Seriously, look how big it is. I don't think it is a human. I think it's a Sasquatch. It was a bluebird January morning here in the foothills of northeast Provo when a group of guys saw a figure on the mountain that looked like something they've never seen before. You can't just see something that's maybe a once-in-a-century discovery and go do your nine to five job. You gotta go look for fur or footprints or some kind of evidence. And the camera was rolling as Austin took to the mountain with a buddy on a search for the elusive Bigfoot. So I'm seeing something that is not deer tracks anymore. We're trying to determine what it, what, what it is. Their findings were inconclusive. Was it a bear? Maybe, that's plausible. Was it a person? Also plausible. Was it something else? I think that's also plausible. Who knows? On the other hand, I spoke to a curator from the Natural History Museum of Utah who says not only is that figure in the video not Sasquatch, but it's safe to say that Sasquatch is not something that would even exist. What's the likelihood that there are big animals that have gone undetected by scientists and by trained observers? Dr. Eric Rickhart has spent much of his career exploring places people have never gone before in search of new species. So far, no Bigfoot or anything like it. There are lots of undiscovered things, particularly in the natural world. But they don't take the form of giant apes running around in largely settled areas of the world. So what do you believe? I'm really hoping I get to go look again. Maybe there's something out there to find right here in Utah, even in Provo. And that is where Dr. Rickard is wrong. Not only are large species discovered relatively often, considering the human footprint on this planet, but some of these discoveries have been made in recent times. In fact, as early as the 90s, a very large, living primate was hiding beneath our nose. For generations, stories persisted of a race of gigantic apes that lived on the ground, hunted and ate lions, howled at the moon, and, and was immune from the local hunters' poison-tipped darts. A creature that clearly could not exist, not in a country with nearly 90 million people. The exact scenario our old friend Dr. Rickard said was impossible. But the species, now known as the Beely Ape, or the Bondo Ape, was discovered in 1996 when a conservationist named Carl Amon found a strange chimpanzee-like skull, unlike anything on the record. Now eventually, over years and several trips back to the Congo, Amon was able to finally photograph a living specimen. And as the skull suggested, although these may look like your typical chimpanzee from a distance... It quickly became apparent that there was a drastic difference. But these um, Bondo apes, they call them, this is the, um, the giant chimp. They nest on the ground, too, like gorillas. But the locals have two names for chimps over there. They have one that they call tree beaters. Those are the regular-sized chimps. And the other ones they call lion killers. Damn. They're so big 
They've 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 got videos of these things eating a leopard. What? Yeah. They don't Whoa. know if it yeah, they're enormous chimps. So they don't know if it killed the leopard or if the leopard died and yeah. then they're eating it. They don't know. But they do know one was eating a fucking leopard. <laughs> so you gotta think Yummy kitty cat. When they're standing up, they're taller than me. I'm five eight, they're six feet tall. You're six feet tall? Yeah. So they're your height. Yeah. Your height, but a chimp. And a jack chimp. God. It's probably like 250, 300 pounds. Well, they say they're 400 pounds. And that clip was courtesy of the Joe Rogan Project. And these apes were discovered in a country roughly the size of Alaska, with, again, 90 million people. To put things in perspective, Alaska has less than 800,000 people. Now, I would certainly side with any scientist that claim the existence of an unknown upright hairy hominid is very unlikely. The fact that there still isn't concrete evidence is proof enough for that. But the claim that it's impossible, well, that's where I get defensive. It's that sort of attitude and lack of imagination that prevents exploration, not the other way around. And if the Billy Ape and the legends surrounding it tell us anything, it's that deep in the forest, almost anything is possible. So thanks again, Goller, for sharing the entry and allowing me to go on a little tangent. Oh, by the way, I like the idea of building a quick fire for protection. Although, I'm not so sure bending over to do so is such a good idea. It's a good way to get yourself eaten in lying country. Now, if you have a story you would like to hear played on the show, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the Report Your Sightings tab at the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com. Now, our next entry comes to us from my familiar voice. Please welcome back to the program, Ivy. Hi, this is Ivy. I've called a couple times before, but I just finished season seven. I don't know, on to season eight. I had listened to what you said got you into cryptids and stuff like that, so I figured I would call and say what kind of started all my paranormal I would say activity and this story is I guess I think it's an interesting story just because it happened to both me and my older brother at the same exact time so I can't remember exactly when it was I know it was around fall time I was six he was seven and there was a tornado warning so our mom had sent us down into our grandmother's basement which was furnished, it was a very nice basement. And she told us that we had to wait there until either everybody came downstairs with us or she called us back up. So me and my older brother were sitting down. Like I said, I had to be six, he was seven. And we're sitting on this couch and this couch faces a wall with two doors. So it's like a blank wall and then at the end of the wall is two doors. I think one of them was a closet and one of them was a bedroom. But something caught my eye, and I guess it caught his too, and it was moving. Because I remember I looked over at this blank wall, and we saw what we presumed to be an older woman, because she was in a rocking chair, but she didn't, she didn't have any features. She was, like, completely black, and so was the rocking chair. But we knew it was a rocking chair because she was rocking back and forth. And there was a shape in her arms that was, like I said, it was black. There was no real huge detail. But we both saw an older lady with rocking a baby in her arms. And we looked at each other at the exact same time. Like, are you seeing this? Because I'm seeing this. Like, we didn't say anything, but we just looked at each other. And then we looked back and we saw her raise her hand to her mouth and made this shushing noise, like, shh, be quiet, the baby's sleeping. And both of us, at the exact same time, screamed. But here's where the story differs. Everything up to that moment is exactly the same. But she disappeared when my brother screamed. And when I screamed, I saw her come at me. And we both ran upstairs, and we told our mom... And she was like, it was nothing, like, it was just the trick of the light, like, everything's okay. But 
our stories are exactly the same in every detail, except after we had screamed, she disappeared completely from my brother's vision. And ever since that day, he's never had any spooky or paranormal things happen to him. And I continue to have them. I don't know if that's her doing, or I don't know if I'm just that lucky, but it's a really interesting story. And once I told my mom and my family about your podcast, they really wanted me to call and tell you the story, but I had just forgotten. And you telling your story about how you got into cryptids reminded me. So I figured I'd call before I forgot again. All right, bye. Thank you, Ivy. Having grown up in Ohio, I know tornado drills very well. I've spent many a dark nights huddled in either my own or my grandparents' basement. Lights out, lightning flashing, and shadows from the candles dancing on the walls. In fact, I found myself in that same situation several times in school growing up as well. I remember a time that I'm sure I have shared on this program once before, but bear with me for a moment. We were in Mrs. Ryan's third grade class and a tornado warning was issued. We all ventured down to the ground level as quickly as possible and balled up, stacked in the hallways. That storm was a pretty good one. It was nearly pitch black at noon, save for the constant crash of lightning. That's when the muffled cries of the children were transformed into screams of terror. When a kid named Aaron hollered out, There's a skeleton man looking in the window. It took several minutes for teachers to calm everyone down. And sadly, despite my best efforts, I was not able to see said skeleton man. But by the end of school that day, half the class, and maybe half the school for all I know, had admitted to seeing this apparition, yet they could vaguely describe it. Now I say all that to ask Ivy this. Is it possible that the excitement, atmosphere, and general fear caused her and her brother to imagine this stormy specter? Not too unlike the way Aaron most certainly imagined his experience, although I bet at a certain point it became very real to him. But, and there's always a but with these kind of stories, both Ivy and her brother claim to have seen the exact same thing at the exact same time. Well, except for the discrepancy at the end. So would that even be possible if this was a shared hallucination? Would their two descriptions align the way they did? But, at any rate, I'm in no way implying that Ivy and her brother are fabricating this encounter, nor that they are even mistaken. But as I always say, it's important to explore every single logical option. And let's say I'm way off and they did see a full-bodied apparition. Given the fact that so many theories about hauntings and ghosts surround electricity, if one were going to see something like this, I think a lightning storm would be the opportune time. Thanks again, Ivy. It's certainly a classic sighting straight out of a Goosebump book or something. And speaking of Goosebumps, this next tale really hits home for me. Please welcome Summer from California to the program. Hey there, it's Summer. This story is um, taking place about 2010 in the Salton Sea area. I was taking a day trip to go see Salvation Mountain. So there's this, this town next to Salvation Mountain called Slab City. And I was just driving around there during the day, checking it out. And when I was leaving, I came upon this little ghost town in Nyland, California. Nyland, it's completely empty. I think I saw a couple of donkeys walking around in the street. And um, I look over and I see this burnt out bar. It, it was a bar or a restaurant, but it was completely burned down um, in, in this little plaza. The roof was gone, just char. So at the time, I was an artist, and I used to do a lot of projects with found objects. And this was a great opportunity to go in, explore, and find some new medium to create some artwork with. And um, I found a charred door 
the door was partially burnt and it had this really neat hardware on it. I took a couple other things from the building, put them in my trunk and drove home with them and didn't think anything of it. Anyway, so at the time, uh, what I used to do is I would create these art projects and I would leave them on the streets. Um, I lived in Los Angeles at the time. I'd leave them on the streets and people would find them and either post them on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But um, there's just a, a neat way to connect with people. So I eventually made a piece of artwork with this charred door and I put the piece out onto the street and there was a girl that had picked up the artwork. She found it and she had tagged me and uh, I was happy that the art piece found a home. I didn't think anything of it. And literally a day or two later, I hear that her apartment burnt down. Like she had her apartment burned. I don't know if the entire complex burned, but it was so bad that she had lost everything in her apartment and her, her husband and her son had to move. And there was a community of artists that were trying to put together a fundraiser for her to be able to have money so that she could find a new apartment. And I don't know if this was a coincidence or not, if this, this charred door that she had found, you know, my art, my art piece, I don't know if it was a jinx, but I always felt guilty and I never told her or anybody about it because I just, I, I had felt like a strange tinge of guilt. I mean, <laughs> my my art was on this burnt door and then literally within days, her apartment burns. Anyway, strange cursed items from Salton Sea. I don't know. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Summer. Like I said, this hits home because the Salton Sea is not all that far from here and we try to go camping there at least once a year. And while we are there, I often pick up random junk to make art with myself. Nothing anyone would miss. Mostly just rotted wood from the mountains of trash and rubble. But unlike Summer, I never seem to have any bad experiences with any of the crap that I kept. Although I may have picked up a disease or two from all the lead paint caked onto this wood, but luckily thus far, I'm curse-free. But if you happen to find yourself at the oddity known as the Salton Sea, be sure to check out the International Banana Museum in Mecca. A wacky stop and a delicious banana milkshake. Not a paid advertisement, just something I think you should check out. And thanks again, Summer, for sharing your entry. Now, I know I've been teasing these patches and pins, and unfortunately, we've hit a bit of a snag, so they're going to be delayed a couple weeks. But, in the meantime, two new items have become available in the shop. A brand new powder orange beanie variant, and two new 11 by 17 one-sheet posters of the show. Now, each poster comes signed by yours truly, unless you don't want that sort of thing. But these, and much, much more, are available at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And every penny spent in the shop goes to support the show. Now, our next unnerving narrative takes us back to the land where I am from. The Buckeye State of Ohio. So please join me in welcoming Vince to the show. Hi, Derek. This is Vince from Ohio. And I've been wanting to call this story in for a while. Uh, it happened to me about two years ago. I had bought my grandma's house. And uh, it was my first summer living here. And I was working third shift at the time. So I was sleeping, you know, during the day when I got home. And I remember it was on a Friday. I want to say it was probably July. My bedroom kind of is in the back of the house, but from my bedroom door, looking towards the front of the house from my bed, sunlight will come through from the big front window in the front of the house. And uh, I woke up about, it's probably about 12 o'clock. You know, I got home probably about 6 in the morning. I slept till about 12. And I didn't have an alarm set or anything. I just kind of woke up. I was laying on my stomach, kind of like in a fetal position on my stomach, I guess. And uh, I kind of just like turned back and looked at my door, which was open. And I could see the sunlight from the front window coming through. It was light outside. I kind of have like some blackout curtains in my bedroom for that reason. 
but I could see where it was daylight outside from the hallway where it was coming in from the front window. And in the doorway was the stereotypical hat man that I've never, at the time I had never heard of hat man. I've heard of sleep paralysis, but I had never heard of the hat man phenomenon. I mean, the top hat, trench coat, and I'm telling you, the top of his hat, it gives me chills talking about it, but the top of his hat was at the top of the doorway and his shoulders were as wide as the doorway was and the trench coat seemed to go all the way to the floor. And I just remembered, I turned around and I looked at him and the weirdest part was I wasn't afraid. I don't know if it's because it was daytime out or at the time I had just bought the house, all my buddies were excited. So, you know, this one kid in particular, he's a little bit taller. He would kind of just like show up at random times, you know, wanting to hang out. And um, I guess I just kind of like chalked it up to it being him. And I was like, you know, screw this, I'm going back to sleep. And I rolled back over and went to sleep. And it didn't hit me until later that day as I was just going about my business, I thought, wow, that was really weird. The thing was black, blacker than black, you know, and it's light out, it shouldn't, you know, it just, there was no, there was no features or it was just like a silhouette of a man. So I called my friend and I said, hey man, uh, did you work today? He's like, yeah, I, I guess so. He said, yeah, I said, so, you know, you, you weren't over it all today. You didn't stop by my house at all? He's like, no, I, he's like, I've been at work all day. And I thought, you know, that's, that's really weird. And then, a couple months after that, I was watching a movie or a TV show or something on sleep paralysis, and they showed a picture of that hat man, and I mean, like, I could feel everything, just like, all the blood rush out of my face. Like, I just felt myself go white and thought, oh my God, I've seen this. You know, I've done research, and I know they see sleep paralysis, and I mean, I woke up and I rolled over. I literally, like, looked up back over my shoulder. So, I, I mean, I know I woke up for that small amount of time, and then I just you know, it, for some reason, it didn't affect me the way it probably intended to or should have, and I just went back to sleep. I've never seen it since then. I've never had sleep paralysis, unless that was what you would consider sleep paralysis. But, you know, it freaks me out to think about it at night. Every time I think about calling in the story, it seems to be, you know, late at night when I'm listening to the podcast, and I think, you know, if I talk about this thing, he's going to come back. So I don't, I, I admit right now, it's like sunny out and you know um not as freaked out about it but i don't know i mean I, at the time when this happened i was dating a girl and it wasn't a very healthy relationship i guess there's a lot of arguing and it just was like a negative atmosphere surrounding the, the whole relationship you know i don't know if that maybe brought this phenomenon out i mean i know these these shadow people stories are you know a dime a dozen and you know, this is just probably another clue to put into the database. I don't know if anybody's really given a real clear explanation on what this is or why it happens or, you know, other than sleep paralysis or whatever. It definitely freaks me out. And, you know, I, you know, basically I kind of keep it to myself. I've told people, you know, sitting around a fire at night or something, trying to scare each other, you know, talking about weird things that have happened to us over the years. And that's really one of the only true paranormal type of things that have ever really happened to me. I don't like talking about it too much. I mean, I'm kind of superstitious when it comes to that type of thing. You know, I feel like if I talk about it, maybe I'll come back. It's just, uh, it was just weird and uh, what the deal was. I know my house, uh, this house, my grandma lived here for 14 years, but before she lived here, a woman lived here and uh, an older woman by herself and she did kill herself in the house. I don't know. I, I mean, what I saw was definitely looks like a man it didn't look like a woman you know i've never had any other weird experiences in this house and i know my grandma claims that she has never felt anything weird in the house or um supernatural so i love the show man hopefully you can use this if not just put it in your uh, memory bank of shadow man stories thanks thanks fence you ask some pretty good questions and frankly i'm asking many of the same myself In fact, each time I play a call like yours, I repeat the same searches, over and over, with the same results. It almost seems like no one out there wants to even wager a guess as to where these things come from, or even what they are altogether. But the truth is, there are thousands of people out there that have similar experiences to Vince's, and not all of them can be mistaken. But at long last, I did manage to find an authority of sorts. I was willing to at least suggest an origin to this odd phenomenon. 
And if you're a believer in this subject, you're really going to hate this next clip, courtesy of the Dr. Phil Show. My entire life I've seen shadow people, but lately it's gotten worse. They have a head and they have hands. They would tell me things like, don't go into that room, there's a bad person in there. It said my name, Haley, come here. When I start to see the black shadow people, I usually hide under my blanket for comfort. It's overwhelming. Okay, now Haley, you were just talking about some of the things that you're still experiencing and you want that to stop, correct? And if there's a way for that to stop, then you, then you want it to stop. Mm-hmm. And when you are on the proper medication at the proper level for the proper duration where the medication can reach what are called therapeutic levels in your blood, then that, that gets better, correct? I've never had it gotten better. Like, they, they don't go away. Mm-hmm. The shadows and the voices just don't go away. They get better? No, I haven't gotten better. Mm-hmm. They just stay there. They don't go away. Okay. I'm, t- I'm tired of it. They just, they don't go away. I've been, I've been through this since I was a little bitty. Okay. So you need to continue to work to try to get this under control, right? Do something, yeah. Uh-huh. I, can't, I can't even sleep anymore. Right. Are you staying up for long periods of time? Yeah. Um, like last night, I didn't get any sleep mm-hmm. at all. What's keeping you awake? Um, I hear voices, mm-hmm. and they don't let me sleep. What are the voices saying to you? That um, Jesus is okay, Jesus is not dead, Jesus is alive. And then sometimes I hear the voices calling my name. Uh-huh. Now, for what it's worth, Dr. Phil's doctorate is not in medicine. It's actually in philosophy. But that doesn't stop him from giving mental illness advice. And perhaps that's exactly what's troubling this young woman. I'm certainly no more qualified than him to make that assessment. But I do know that not every witness is so because of a psychotic episode or medication mismanagement. And unlike Dr. Phil, I'm willing to admit that I honestly do not know. But I do appreciate people like Vance who are out there making us ask those tough questions. And perhaps one day, we'll get to the bottom of it. Thanks again, Vince. Now, it's not answers you'll find over at our Patreon page, but you will find over 50 hours of content for four measly dollars a month. And for those that are on a budget, the $1 level has a heaping helping of content as well. Pledge for one month, listen to all the content, then cancel. I'm happy to make that swap. New episodes each month, and many other sneak peeks and bonus surprises sprinkled in. So visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Now this next one is just a little weird. And it's just the way I like it. The following is Shelley's entry from Washington State. Hi there, my name is Shelley and I am from Bellingham, Washington. This is my story and it is actually one of many paranormal occurrences that has happened in my life. I don't really know why I have experienced such odd things in my life, but this particular story takes the cake. And this experience happened when I was 18 years old back in 2008. I was at my old best friend's um, parents' house, and it was out in the country near some sparse woods and farmlands near Mount Baker. Now, the house itself was older, about 100 years old. Anyways, I was staying the night at her place. She lives with her mom and dad, stepdad. I believe stepdad number five, as her mom liked to marry around and relocate constantly. Her mom and stepdad, though kind people, they were strange in that they were alcoholics who enjoyed chanting Buddhist prayers every night, and they smoked heavily indoors, uh, as well as burned incense on top of that. So it was definitely an odd but curious place to hang out at, at a younger age in my teenage years. So we stayed the night, one night in her spare room and went to bed after hanging out all day when suddenly I awoke to a very dark room. It must have been around 2 or 3 a.m. And what was odd was I had ended up sleeping on my back, which normally doesn't happen. So when I awoke to a dead silent room, I didn't know what could have awoken me, but I had the sudden urge to quietly sit up straight in a seated position on the bed. 
My friend was to the right of me, and I could hear her soft breath as she continued to sleep. So when I slowly and quietly turned to my right to see her, I was suddenly startled to see a creature on the side of the bed next to her. And it was, say, about three feet in height, and it looked like some sort of goblin. It reminded me of Gollum from the Lord of the Rings movie, actually. Uh, It had giant yellow-white eyes that were luminescent, and they stared hard at my friend as she slept, and the creature was only 12 inches away from her face, just right there, straight up in her grill, and intensely staring at her with a huge smirk on its face. It appeared to be admiring her, but its fixation was disturbing. As I sat upright in bed, motionless and quiet, I took in this creature for about three seconds, then it broke its hyperfixated gaze from her at a sideways glance at me, and then it turned its whole face to look at me with its eyes open large in surprise and fear. I remember those eyes more than anything. They had a comical glow to them as if they were a nocturnal creature of some sort, but the eyes were also so large and humanoid, it really stuck with me even though I only saw them for about, I'd say, five or so seconds before the creature disappeared entirely before my eyes. Did it have the ability to disappear? I don't know. Or perhaps did it have the ability to be so incredibly lightning fast that it took off faster than I could even literally see it run? It just disappeared and it left me alone in a dark room. Now, as you can imagine, I was pretty scared just based on the strange sighting of a goblin-like creature alone. So I shook my friend awake and let her know what had happened. Uh, She told me not to worry and unalarmed in the slightest told me that the goblin creature was seen by her family all the time and to just go to sleep. Needless needless to say, I got barely any sleep that night. I did find some, and in the morning, I desperately inquired for a better explanation, talking to my friend and her mom as we had breakfast. Her mom also shrugged it off, and she casually said that this little creature had been bound to the family for several years now and even moved with them from house to house. They would sometimes see the creature on the staircase, for instance, and every time it got caught snooping in the house, it would look extremely scared with those wide eyes and then immediately disappear. Needless to say, the whole family was strange and had a weird and unique vibe to them, most especially my best friend at that time in my life. I actually no longer talk to her anymore, in part due to her deteriorating mental health over the years, which was not healthy for me to be around anymore in that relationship though I can say that my own personal paranormal experiences are actually not as pronounced now that she is out of my life, ironically. Anyways, that's my story. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Shelley. Now, from time to time, we hear of a story like this. A small fella, one or two feet tall. And from there, the description typically varies, but not any more so than any other normal human description. You know, some have red hair, gray hair, white hair. Some have paper clothing versus animal skin, etc. But, outside of these rare reports, one may only find a mention of these mysterious little men on other podcasts, such as Into the Fray and Expanded Perspectives, where they both refer to the phenomenon as forest folk or fae folk. But regardless of what you want to call them, Mainstream cryptozoology really doesn't seem interested in the subject. Except for one program. A program that doesn't seem to shy away from pushing the envelope. Monsters and Mysteries in America. Gnomes have been reported all over the world. There are different names for them. Trolls, uh, goblins, elves. But they're all basically the same type of creature. They're small, children-sized creatures, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're bad. Gnomes, if they're angered, will take it out on people. Anything from something mischievous, like tying uh, animals' tails together, to as far as eating household pets. The little ones, when they're good, are supposed to be guardians and they bring you good luck, but the bad ones are supposed to be an omen of something very bad. Now that clip can be found in Episode 5 of Season 2. And the package includes a harrowing encounter from the Sierra Mountains of Central California. 
And before we move on, that is one thing I will note about all these sightings. Most, if not all, seem to take place here in the western states. In addition, most, if not all, also seem to take place near bodies of running water. So make of that what you will. And Shelley, the best I can do for you now is tell you that you're not alone. Although I doubt that makes you feel any better. But thanks again for the entry. And here we are, folks. It's time for our final entry of the episode. And boy, did I save a doozy for last. But before I give too much away, please, welcome to the program, Jennifer, from the state of Utah. Hey, Derek. Uh, my name is Jennifer. I'm currently living in Salt Lake City, Utah. But uh, the story that I'm telling you took place in a small town in California called Apple Valley in the high desert. It was about 2.30, 3 a.m. My husband was asleep. My mother-in-law was asleep. Being the night owl that I am, I was still awake, of course, sitting in the living room reading a book. Our three dogs were with me. Um, and then there was a knock on the door. Bam, bam, bam. Three knocks. And what made this strange, well, stranger than having someone at the door at 3 a.m., it was a knock on the front door itself. We had a metal security screen door with a deadbolt that I was diligent about locking. I lock every door in the house. I go through again to make sure everything is locked. And this knock was on the front door. The second thing, or I guess the third thing, that made that unusual was that the dogs did not bark. As they usually do when someone's at the door, they usually bark really loud, they usually run towards the door. This time, they stayed where they were, but their ears pricked up and they looked towards the door. So they heard it too, <laughs> with more courage than I thought I had. I went to the door and I looked through the people. The porch light was on, as it should have been, and it appeared the screen door, the metal security screen door, was shut, as it was supposed to be. And I didn't see anybody. I waited for a breath and then I yelled out, hello? That's when I heard the voice of what sounded like a young boy, maybe 10, 11 years old, say, come outside. I, I looked through the peephole again. I didn't see anybody again. And you can bet your butt I did not go outside. The dogs and I actually just went back to my bedroom and I stayed awake the rest of the night, just listening for anything else unusual to happen. Nothing did that night, thankfully. And thank you for listening. Thank you, Jennifer. You know, Apple Valley, California, really isn't all that far from here. And Sarah's really going to enjoy that fact once she realizes where I'm going to take this tale. Sarah's my wife for those that are new to the program. And she just so happens to have a healthy fear for the phenomenon known as the black-eyed kids. Or the black-eyed children, or... Typically, the B.E.K.'s for short. Either way, we've discussed these creepy kids on previous episodes. Season 10, Episode 8, features Brian Bethel, the journalist responsible for sharing news about these nightmarish visitations. News he was able to break after his own brush with the black-eyed kids. Well, as I listened to Jennifer's entry, I couldn't help but think of the black-eyed kid phenomenon. Check out the parallels in the story from the gentleman over at the Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I remember one of the stories I looked up. A woman was awoken uh, by her dog who uh, sensed something at the front door, went to investigate, never opened her door, never made a sound. But somehow the kids on the other side of the door knew she was there and tried to get them to let her into the house. Nope. Into the house. Nope. <laughs> so it's always two kids, one in the, like a tween age and one is like a, a, a preschool type age. And they're always trying to like get into either your home or your yeah. car or into something which makes it almost feel almost like a vampire of some sort. You yeah. know what I mean? Now that clip is courtesy of WHAS, ABC News 11 out of Louisville, Kentucky. And a reminder that a link to that in all clips can be found in tonight's show notes. Now to be clear... I'm an admitted skeptic of the black-eyed kid phenomenon, but I will admit that each of those stories are oddly and specifically similar, save for one important detail. In the story from WHAS, the entities outside beg the witness 
to allow them entry into her home, while in Jennifer's entry, the voice beckoned her to join it outside. Now in the dozens of Black Eyed Kid accounts I've read over the years, I believe every single one mentioned the creepy children asking to come in, and not the other way around. So, does that disqualify Jennifer's account, at least in terms of branding it a genuine Black Eyed Kid experience? And does the lack of actually seeing a figure, let alone one with black eyes, further eliminate it for contention? Or are these details just similar enough that we can comfortably assume these accounts feature the same creature? That is, if you buy into the black-eyed kids at all. Which again, I have a difficult time doing. But for once, we may finally be able to solve one of these mysteries. In my research, I stumbled upon a paranormal investigator that believes he's devised a way to attract and subsequently film these things. And according to Fantastic Daily on YouTube, he set up his laptop to film on an external hard drive, and he trained his camera on an entryway filmed through a side window. And that's when he did something truly bizarre. He broadcasted through a set of speakers the following frequency. The person that posted this video allegedly captured video of one of these black-eyed kids using this method. I've linked to that video in the show notes. And I say allegedly because the rumor on the internet is that this user hoaxed the footage and information, including the frequency, later admitting to it, then removing all the posts. And having watched the video a few times, I think that all checks out. Not to mention there was no sign of his videos left on the internet. But just in case, here is that frequency one more time. And if you're brave enough, this time, turn up your volume. Maybe put down the windows. But whatever you do, do not let them inside. Before I go, I've received requests for updates about Browning, Montana. You may remember the Goatman-esque creature reported there by a couple of hometown legend submitters last season. Well, unfortunately, I'm here to report no new news has surfaced. Except for this small entry, posted by a Facebook user named Calvin Tatsy, whom the best I can tell is a writer of some capacity and lives in or near Browning, Montana. At any rate... On February 2nd, 2021, he wrote in his reoccurring Facebook post series, Writing with Impunity, it went as follows. There's something terrible in Browning tonight. The police just had three separate calls where three different people in totally different neighborhoods around Browning had called the police dispatcher, terrified and wanting the police. One was so scared that she had to be taken to the IHS and the other two were given rides to other family members' homes so they wouldn't be alone. None of the three knew of the others either, but they all had similar stories. They'd seen something with horns and feet that looked and sounded like hooves when I walked inside their homes. I've got my eyes and ears open for further information, so please, someone in Browning, let us know what the hell is going on up there. And a big thank you to Jordan for the tip-off and the tidbit of information. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. Keep the party going by following us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. 
I've recently signed up for Cameo. So if for some strange reason, my face will brighten someone in your life's day. Look me up. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the terrifying score that you hear is Co.ag Music and Carl Casey and White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it spooky. And until next week. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.